Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. And we're back with another episode. It's me, Chris, here with James. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. James, before we get started with today's topic, I mean, you're tuning in. You already know where you are. We are, by the way, around 33 episodes deep into this podcast. I mean, that's more than other podcasts like ever survive and stuff like that. So we are over 33, 34 episodes deep into this podcast. If you are here, you know what you're here for. Best MLB podcast on the earwaves. James, why don't you update people with some things that have been going on recently in the MLB world before we head into our main topic? Absolutely. You know, we got a, we got a nice little quiet show for you today. Uh, I mean, it's really just understanding what's going on with the playoff race. The Red Sox are falling, although having Kyle Schwarber back from his injury will definitely help beef up that lineup. And they're going to need to do really well in these upcoming games because they got the series against the Yankees. And then as soon as that series is over, they're facing a whole bunch of teams that should be really beatable before facing Tampa Bay again. So these are very key series for the Red Sox to be winning they should be really focusing on understanding that that if they do not dominate versus these weaker teams and then be able to step it up really versus these teams in their division that it's going to be hard for them to compete in that division because tampa bay has franco up and tampa bay i mean i'll tell you everything's starting to come together with their pitching uh with um uh uh, luis uh um Patino, that's right, Patino. Uh, blanking on how. Yes, Patino, Patino. Luis Patino, that's right, that's right. With, with Franco Patino, you're going to have Josh Lowe come up. Meadows is a beast. Um, Randy Arizarena has really started to hit. Uh, Yandy Diaz is still hitting, which is kind of remarkable, despite the fact that like he doesn't hit for power at all. It's just contact and, and walks, but he's doing it at, at, at a good enough degree to be an above-average hitter. G-Man Troy has taken his production up a level. Um, even if you have guys like uh, Wendell, who I believe made the all-star game, um, I think Tampa Bay is really, they've taken everything to another level and they're incredible in that division. And the Blue Jays have also taken it up. Now, uh, the reason why I mentioned those two teams first is because the, the stretch that the Yankees have been on, is one of the best stretches that we've seen them on in a very long time. Of the last 36 games, they've won 25 of them. And of the last uh, 11 series, they've won 10 of them. They have a lefty-righty lineup now that Gallo's there, now that Rizzo's there. Um, Gardner's now hitting, so that's another lefty. And Odor has become a fixture in their lineup. That's another lefty. There's four lefties right there. So with this team really clicking and coming together, it's going to be very difficult for the Red Sox to keep pace because at the deadline, all they really added was Kyle Schwarber, if we're being completely honest. Um, and it's worth mentioning that Chaim Bloom of the Red Sox, of the, their front office, he said, I believe last night, um, or was, it was either last night or the night before, that he doesn't believe or didn't, didn't believe that this team was going to contend the way that they contended. Like he thought that before the year that they would be decent and they'd kind of hang around. He didn't think they'd be this good. 
I thought that the Red Sox would come in second or third. I believe at the beginning of the year, we, we said that they'd be in second. So I actually was in favor of, of them being this good. But I think you jumped around between second and third. I mean, yeah, I know you just yeah. said that, but it was it you you you're very accurate. Your memory is is yeah. spot on. It's crazy. We did I talk believe about it was, this. It went back and forth between yeah those for two. a while, for a while. Yeah. It was like two believe, or three episodes. I believe when we did the official projection, though, when we officially did that episode, I had them at two. Yeah, you did have yeah yeah. And the Blue Jays, they've added people at the trade deadline, a lot more uh, big pieces than who the Red Sox have added. Uh, the Yankees are a second half team, so it does not surprise me there. And the Tampa Bay Rays not only added people like Luplo and, and Cruz, Nelson, the Nelson Cruz, to deal with their issue versus lefties, uh, but they also promoted Wander Franco. And uh, they're going to have Bruhan up at some point. They're going to have Lowe up at some point. And a lot of their hitters are doing things that I didn't expect them to do uh, as far as Troy goes and as far as Yandy Diaz goes. And then also before the year, I could have never expected that this was going to be the year that Mike Zunino would find a way to hit. So they have him as well. Um, collectively, the Rays have exceeded my expectations. I will say that. I thought it was going to be Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, Blue Jays. And now what it looks like is that it's going to be Rays, Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays. Now, uh, I think the big competition there, in my opinion, is not, you know, Yankees, Red Sox or Rays, Red Sox. I think the Red Sox are competing with the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays have kind of a, a really dangerous squad, given who they've added at the deadline. They added Barrios. They needed a guy like that desperately. They added a few other pieces, but that's really the main guy that I think changed things as far as how I view the current Blue Jays. Because they needed a guy like that if they were going to push past the Red Sox, and they're certainly within shouting distance. So uh, if you're you know, a Blue Jays fan, you might you know, be doing victory laps right now because before the season, I said that the Blue Jays were going to be in fourth place, and now they might be in third place. So, yeah, do your victory lap. I was wrong. It's a third-place team, not a fourth-place team. But you got to remember, it's because of who you added at the deadline. You guys would have been a fourth-place team. So you can never tell what's going to happen at the deadline. You make your predictions as well as you can make them with the players that you are know, that, that you know are in, on each team, and you make them before the year. And if things happen at the deadline, things happen at the deadline. Like, I think before the season, we said that the White Sox had the best chance of winning the World Series. Then a couple of people got injured for the White Sox. Then I said it was the Yankees. But now it's very clearly that the Dodgers have the best chance to win the World Series because at the deadline, they added Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Okay? Nothing the Yankees did comes close to that, even though the Yankees got Rizzo and Gallo. Nothing most other teams did comes close to that. Like the White Sox got Craig Kimbrell and the players that were hurt, two of them came back. So Jimenez and, and Robert, uh, probably the most important two, if we're being honest. They traded the other one, um, Madrigal. They traded Madrigal at the deadline. So, um, but they got Kimbrell, who's the, like one of, if not the best closer in the game right now. So um, they definitely added some big pieces. Like uh, the Mets, they got Javi Baez, but he's hurt. Um, he'll be back, though. Um, 
also think he's going to stay long term. He announced that he really wants to play with Lindor long term, and I think the Mets would be stupid to not bring him back. So I think he'll be back. Um, but of all the moves, the Dodgers being as good as they are, adding Max Scherzer, who's a top four pitcher in Major League Baseball, with Degrom, Cole, and Bieber, um, and then adding arguably the best leadoff hitter in the game, or if not the best leadoff hitter, like in the top five leadoff hitters in the game. And that, of course, is if you're going to include like Mookie Betts amongst those leadoff hitters. And he's, he's Trey Turner's teammate. So uh, top of the lineup can't get better. They have a fantastic middle of the lineup. I mean, the Dodgers are really the clear-cut pick for the World Series right now. But you could have never thought that at the beginning of the year when they were going in with like, oh, David Price is going to get a bunch of starts. And, you know, Kershaw and Bauer are in there, and those guys aren't big game guys either. So really, you're hoping that Urias is somehow still being able to do anything, you know, well past his innings limit. Uh, or you're hoping, you know, that Bueller can just, just pitch every game. Um, and then Dustin May got hurt on top of that. So the, the Dodgers pitching really had fallen apart, but then they go out and they get Max Scherzer, and they go out and they get Trey Turner. I, I, I think that's too big of a jump to have even come close to anticipated before the year. Um, also, we didn't know what was going to go on with the Bauer situation. So I think it's very clear Dodgers are going to win their division. Um, they're going to go on a streak really soon. It's going to push the Giants out of the way as good as the Giants have been. Uh, I don't think the Giants pitching is going to be able to hold up. I've talked to that. I've talked to Justin about that. I've talked to you about that. I've talked to a lot of people about that. I've talked at, uh, about that at length. Um, yeah, exactly, Justin. We got Justin here, by the way, in the crowd. Yeah, he, he thinks the Giants are in trouble. He believes live that, listener. Yeah, live listener. Live listener he here the in the Giants studio. Are in trouble. I believe the Giants are in trouble. It's kind of hard to not think that the Giants are in trouble. But why are the Giants in trouble? It's the pitching staff. Mm. It's not good enough. It, it, ever mm. since specifically uh, they took the sticky stuff out of the game, uh, uh, Gaussman has been a shadow of himself. And it's basically been about this Lafani, who's he's decent. He's like a three. At least that's what I believe. Uh, and then you got Logan Webb, who's maybe a little bit better than that. It's kind of hard to tell what he is right now. Uh, Cause he's really off to a really, you know, he's on, he's on a streak. Um, but they, they don't really have that much outside of that. It's like Alex Wood and, 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 and Johnny Cueto and, you know, and I don't think that that's enough to hold off what the Dodgers have right now. The only thing that they can try and take an advantage of is the Dodgers have a few people who are hurt. And if they can keep winning during the time that these guys are hurt, and then just hold the line when, when they're back, you know, maybe they're crossing their fingers that they can do it, but I, I don't see it with as much talent as the Dodgers have as much base running as they have as much dynamic types of approaches. And, 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 and just, they have the right combination. Now it, it, it seems that it seems difficult to believe that the Padres or the, or the giants are going to be able to, hold them off or make their way around them, so to speak. Um, I think the Padres pitching needs a year to get used to the new ball, to get used to the seams being lower with the ball being less dense, less springy, you know, changing the ball from being as dense as it was, you know, in the juice ball year to a normal density lowers the seams because you're 
you're changing the inside density that pushes on the seams. So if you're a slider heavy pitcher, you're not going to be able to cut your sliders as much. And specifically, if you're a lefty slider heavy pitcher, which most lefties seem to be these days, your, your slider is going to come in and spin slower as it's coming in. And if you're a righty power hitter, which is most of the league, you'll see that for longer. So a lot of lefties are not doing well. And then a lot of righties who are really used to, you know, spinning the ball and using, using the substance, they're kind of tailing off as well, especially if they're dependent on things like the changeup or the cutter, because those pitches are not going to move as good. And then maybe they become more of a two pitch pitcher for a period of time while they're trying to find a proper grip that works and won't get them hurt. So there's a lot of adjustments that have to go on right now. And we're kind of seeing, um, this is almost, you know, the, the steroids of pitching going away because it's like 70% of the league was using this stuff. So now you're seeing all this hitting come back and it's, it's really cool to see, but you also have to understand how it works. Like, you know, oh, okay. These are the types of pitchers that are specifically affected, you know, guys who, you know, are, 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 are newly minted three pitch pitchers, meaning they go back to being two pitch pitchers when they don't have this stuff going for them like Luis Castillo or Aroldis Chapman, former red, current red. Um, or, or, you know, it, it, it makes it so like the slider, like I said, doesn't work. Or it makes it so if you're a weak contact pitcher, you know, as in you're throwing balls in the zone and you're locating really well, well, maybe you're not able to locate as well and you leak it over the middle of the zone so you become a hard contact pitcher for a period of time. Uh, um, Kyle Hendricks went through that at the beginning of the year for a little bit, allowing all sorts of home runs. But once he got used to the ball, he started spotting it again like he always does. And ever since then, he's been his old self. So there, there's some pitchers who have just been like, all right, I just have to make these adjustments. And some pitchers where because of the specific pitch mix that they have, sliders, it's been a lot harder for them to adjust to the new ball. Uh, or guys who are fastball dominant, it's been harder for them to adjust to throwing those fastballs with control where they want to throw them without the sticky stuff. Like Chad Green is a great example of that because Chad Green's always throwing strikes. And then ever since the sticky stuff came out of the league, his walk rate shot through the roof because he can't throw strikes with, with the fastball anymore because he needed the sticky stuff to know how it was coming out of his hand. I think uh, uh, Chapman's third pitch went away entirely when he couldn't use the sticky stuff. And he had already had trouble with his uh, slider movement uh, because of the, the lowered seams. So Chapman got lit up this year after being fairly unhittable before the sticky stuff was taken out. Because you got to remember, the sticky stuff enabled him to have that third pitch like Luis Castillo. So, um, like I said, those, those two reds. But it affects a lot of different types of pitchers. And I think, you know, we've done episodes on talking about all of the different lefties that seem to, you know, fall off this year because of the lowered seams. Uh, and that we could talk about, you know, all of the, the fastball heavy righties that just lost the zone. Like Gaussman's not been the same. He's not been throwing strikes since then. And that's kind of my, my big worry. If it was the same Gaussman, I, I don't think I'd be as worried about the Giants. But they, they were dependent on him. Like he was the main guy that they leaned on with that pitching staff. So uh, having the Dodgers right there, it's going to be very difficult, especially in a division that's that competitive. The Padres, you know. Um, I think the teams in the Central, in the National League, the Brewers, if they keep everyone healthy, they have the right combination where they could win the World Series as well. But it's that kind of combination where it's like 
a Royals combination. It's not based off of like, oh, it's got a whole bunch of studs like the Dodgers do. The Dodgers could certainly steamroll the league. It's based off of things like lefty-righty balance, based off of things, the Brewers roster, based off of things like balance, defense, uh, based off of things like having the right type of approaches to succeed when the game is on the line. They have Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of those types of rosters, and they have three aces, and they have a very good bullpen, and they have, you know, the the, the right amount, like like I said, the right amount of lefty-righties, the right amount of guys who can drive in runs, enough guys who get on base, enough guys who are plus base runners, proper good defense. They have the right combination if everybody stays healthy to do it and to take on the Dodgers. But as far as I'm concerned, it looks like they're the only team in the National League that stand a chance against the Dodgers this year. Uh, The only one else that I can possibly imagine is maybe when Lindor and Baez come back for the Mets, they can figure out the right combination of players and, you know, in the playoffs, they then can integrate Cindergard into the rotation or, you know, figure out some sort of to, to, to capitalize on the pitching staff and dynamic enough offense to really get some stuff done. Um, but I don't think like the Phillies are deep enough, even though the Phillies have a dynamic offense and have the kind of big game dynamic offense that you'd need. I don't think that they're deep enough like the Mets are to get that kind of thing done. They don't have the kind of pitching that the Brewers do. So it's really if everything works for the Mets or if everybody stays healthy for the Brewers, that's the com- that, that, that's the competition for the Dodgers. But uh, out, outside of uh, outside of that, I, I think the Dodgers have a real clear path to the World Series. Um, so you know that's that's speaking on I guess the National League East with talking on the Mets as the class of, of the division. I think they need Lindor and Baez to come back if they're going to be able to keep the Braves down, if they're going to be able to keep the Phillies down. Um, so it's going, to, it's going to start to get a little close there towards the ending because the Mets are in third place right now. But, uh, you know, once Baez and, and Lindor are back, the, the lineup will get so dynamic. The defense will go through the roof because right now it's not good defense. The mm-hmm. base running will get a lot better because both of those guys are incredible on the, like on the bases and, you know, they, that's where I say, you know, if they, if they make their way into the playoffs and that's all working, everything's clicking there, they stand a chance against the Dodgers. But outside the Mets and outside everything clicking for the Brewers, the Dodgers have a fantastic shot straight at the World Series. So that's the East, that's the Central with the Brewers, that's the West with the Dodgers. Some people say that, you know, the Cardinals are making that late season push and maybe they could get in there again. They are certainly in competition. And they did make some underrated deadline moves. Uh, that being said, I think it's too little too late. And I think we talked about that early on in the year, that the Cardinals could make this late season push. And they have this team that's geared for the late season with guys like Carpenter, if he's ever going to produce its late season, Goldschmidt, late season. Uh, Arenado's not necessarily late season, but he's one of those guys where when he's going, when he's good, which should be through the second half as a bat speed guy, um, he can put the team on his shoulders because he did that basically near single-handedly for the Rockies. I mean, certainly Blackman was there and Story was there, but in comparison to what Arnado did, there's nothing in comparison to Arnado. There's nothing in comparison to him. So he really put that team on their back. So uh, on his back, and I feel like between him and between some of the other guys on that roster, they have a really 
uh, bat speed heavy or or late season heavy lineup. Um, you know, even with Yadi Molina, you know, he, he's great in big moments. So I thought down, you know, you know, getting closer to the playoffs, you know, down down the stretch, the Cardinals would start to get really hot, and they, they certainly could. There's certainly things that are going on that are really good for them right now, but I think it's too little too late with what the Brewers have going on for them. So that's the National League. That's what, what it looks like as far as playoff teams, the, the, the best of the best, and certainly the Braves are gritty, probably the grittiest team. Dan Plesak said something different. He called them the most resilient team. I don't know if I'd say that, but given the talent that they have, they definitely know how to grit out wins relative to their talent level. Like the Yankees are certainly more resilient, but their talent level is much higher. So you have to, you know, look at things within context. Um, Looking at the American League, uh, the West seems to be a battle down the line between Oakland and the Astros. Um, I've not really thought much of, you know, Correa moving forward um, and Bregman being out of the lineup definitely, I think, actually helps them because he's a, look, he, he, everybody thought, thinks of Bregman as a great player, but I've been seeing him in decline. He's been hurt for so much that they've been able to replace his playing time with other people. So really the only person that is like really, undershooting what he should be doing right now is kind of Correa amongst the cheaters because they have so many people who are not cheaters now playing. So it's can the Astros with the non-cheaters playing around Correa and Altuve, you know, really those, those guys, right? Yeah. Um, can that team with their pitching now not doing nearly as good because they were all using the sticky, the sticky substance all, all their pitches are, are, are not nearly as good as they were before that, that date, uh, before people were starting to get examined. So can they somehow hold off Oakland, who now has Josh Harrison, who's doing fantastic, Jan Gomes, they've moved Sean Murphy into some kind of catcher DH role so that Gomes can play a little bit more. They have Chapman at one corner. They have Olsen at the other corner. They brought in Harrison playing second. So now – even though Andres was not doing well at shortstop. Now they got Jed Lowry playing shortstop. You know, they, they brought in uh, Starling Marte, who's been a monster this season. They have Mark Canna. And ever since uh, Ramon Loreno or Loreano, uh, he, um, ever since he tested positive for steroids, although it, it was, conf- he, he's, he says that it, it was some sort of mix up. It wasn't steroids. Given what he said and, and the context, it does seem like that, but you still get your, your punishment when you get your punishment. And he tested for steroids in the minors with the Astros, funny enough. Um, so funny enough, we, I, I, most people who do it twice, most people who test positive twice, you'd think that I'd go after them. But with the context this time, it doesn't seem like he actually was using it. So maybe I'm gullible. Maybe I'm stupid. I don't think so. I don't think uh, so. But, I don't uh, think so at all. I don't think he did it this time. That being mm. said, Seth Brown is now in a platoon. And he's going to get tons of at-bats, and he's just about enough lineup protection in order to be as effective as he needs to be. 
And now that Oakland lineup is straight up dangerous one through nine. And, you know, their pitching staff, they do have some good pitchers. They have Bassett. They have Manaya. You know, they have um, Caprillion, although I don't know exactly how they're going to use him for the rest of the year. They have Montas. They have, they, they have guys that they kind of use in the rotation and the bullpen. But uh, this is a team that I think that I like their, their starting pitching better than I like the Astros starting pitching. Just not talking about cheating, not talking about anything, just point blank what they're doing, who they've been, who they are. Uh, I like their pitching better. Um, looking at uh, the lineups, I think that the, the Astros definitely have a slight edge there, but it's not an edge in depth. It's an edge in how good the peak talent is. Oakland has the edge in lineup depth, and they also have the edge in lineup versatility. So it might be enough with as close as it is for Oakland to go on a run and push past the the Astros. But then again, with the Astros having so many people who aren't cheaters playing, um, you know, they're not going to see the fall off that they would see if Bregman was playing every day with Correa. They have people playing who would, who right now are outperforming what Bregman would do if he was forced to play every day because he was healthy, you know? So they're almost in a better situation right now, if that makes sense. So it's really, it's going to be an interesting battle. It's going to be an interesting little contest, Oakland versus the Astros. Um, and then, of course, whichever team doesn't really make it out of that little battle there is going to be in the wild card race um central's the white Sox domain very clearly they own the central uh they i'm going to say right now the white Sox are probably my american league team to get to the world series but it could also be tampa bay and i think it, it's it's going to be one or the other um I don't think that the Yankees quite have the right amount of management to make the right moves to succeed in, in you know, those short-term series, how many short-term series you have in the playoffs, you know? Um, but the Rays, they're ready. They're ready. And the White Sox, they're young and they're really talented and they're really dynamic. But I, I more look at them as a, a team that has a ridiculously good bullpen when the playoffs happen because some guys from the rotation can get put into the bullpen and they can prioritize the right starters. They can probably go with a three-man rotation first off. That's one of the biggest things because they have enough guys that they can put into the bullpen that, you know, they could bullpen for a game if they wanted to, or they could, um, you know, take some guy out of the game early or whatever and not have to worry about like ever tiring out your bullpen in the playoffs. Certainly the Yankees uh, back in 2009, when they won the world series, they had a three man rotation. Uh, and the, the Yankees, in, in my opinion, had a worse rotation than the white Sox do currently. So the white Sox could do something like that with as dynamic as the bullpen as they have, you know, they have Liam Hendricks and they have Craig Kimbrell and they have Aaron bummer. I mean, it's just like, it, it never stops. Their whole pen is just full of guys. And then when the playoffs happen, you look at those guys that are in their rotation. Think about like, if, if, um, and when Rodon comes back from injury, if you put him in the, the bullpen for the playoffs, right? He's nasty. Or, or Dylan Cease, you put him in the bullpen for the playoffs. 
or, or you know, whoever ends up being the guy or Giolito or wh- whoever it ends up being. You want Lance Lynn in there. You want Dallas Keuchel in there. I'm not sure who, you know, your, your three would be. I think it's, it's creative to possibly go with Kopech, see how far into the game Kopech could go, and then bullpen the rest of the way. But they have so many different guys that it almost is like, okay, who's doing really well in the weeks leading up to the playoffs? And that'll be the three starter, you know? But um, the White Sox, yeah, they, they have such a dynamic roster, you know. Uh, if I had known that Jimenez and Robert were going to come back before the end of the year with enough time to really have a second half, get into shape, get into form before the playoffs, uh, I don't think I would have ever written off the White Sox and put the Yankees above them. I would have stuck, stuck by them as White Sox are going to be in the World Series at minimum. And then when the Dodgers did what they did, I'd say, well, the Dodgers – are going to be in the World Series, but win it now that they've done those moves, if that makes sense. Should have just stuck by them if I knew that those guys were going to be healthy. Um, and then, of course, when Madrigal went down, it was just like, wow, three guys going down. But they got Cesar Hernandez, so they made up for that, uh, at least in the short term. Um, so White Sox class of the Central, that's what they look like. That's how their playoffs hopes look. Um, you move to the East. And that's just a bloodbath right now. You got the Blue Jays, you got the Red Sox, you got the Rays, and you got the Yankees. And they're all at each other's throats. The Yankees have won 25 of the last 36 games. I said that earlier. They've been absolutely insanely, like, the vibe is that they can't be beat. If you're watching this team on a day-to-day basis, they look like they believe that they can't be beat and it's time to come in there and, you know, do business and lock down a W like they look like they've gone from being this team that was kicked around by the league to a team that knows how good they are. And it, it's been a really interesting transformation. Um, and I think a lot of it centers around the calming leadership of Rizzo, but that's almost an entirely different podcast talking about, what the proper type of leadership can do, whether it be in the manager's office or be in the dugout, be on the field defensively, be in the lineup, guiding the lineup, or even in the front office, making sure the team knows that on a year-to-year basis, you're going to put them in a position to win rather than trade away their stars in the middle of a contention window. Um, so there's all sorts of different, that's a different talk to have entirely. But uh, yeah, I know, Chris, you're, you're thinking about taking notes right there. I can see the wheels turning. I can see <laughs> I can see the wheels turning. Uh, I can't hear you, man. I, I can't hear you. It's got the volume thing going again. So background for everyone, when we're usually filming these and when we're talking, I'm usually taking notes. And that's how I'm always like, oh, James, yes, you did say this. Oh, yes, we did predict this because I thought a really great tool to have on our side when we're talking about these things as we go throughout the year and throughout the season is for me to just take notes as we're as we're speaking. So I'm yes, James is correct. I am taking notes. It's good ideas. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, talking more about the specifically the East, and then I guess we could finish up there. Really Mm -hmm. made our way around. We've we've given a pretty good recap there, Mm -hmm. but specifically, specific, specifically specifically talking about the East, specifically talking about the East. (laughs) um, The, I didn't think that the Blue Jays were going to have Alejandro Kirk come back from injury so quick. Yeah. So that might give them enough production at catcher. Um, Teoscar Hernandez has started to dial in his bat speed, which was actually not something that I was really in, 
excuse me, anticipating happening um, until really like, you know, a year or so down the line. I thought he was going to go through much more of a growth period. So he surprised me. Marcus Semyon sold out for power and it worked. Mm. So I got to give him credit there. He's definitely been a guy, and I've said this before, that he keeps proving me wrong on a year-to-year basis. He keeps finding ways to get better in one way or another. And, you know, he fooled me because the offense went right back to what he had been before it had come around. And then the next year, this year, he was like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to have to do what I'm going to have to do to get my offense to be back where I want it to be. Even if it means swinging and missing a tiny bit more, you got to give him credit for knowing that that's the result that he would get for taking that big of a risk. And it's now turned him into a really dynamic player, especially that he can focus on, you know, being this type of hitter at the plate because he's not playing shortstop anymore. He's at second base, which is where he really came up through the minors. And when he came up through the minors at second, he was actually quite the prospect hitter there. He wasn't necessarily like a top 100 guy, but he was definitely viewed as, okay, he, he can play second and he can hit a little bit. And then once he got moved over to short, it was kind of like an experiment. Can you teach this guy to play short? So having him be back at second, it certainly makes him feel more comfortable with taking a risk like this at the plate. So that was a really um, a good gamble. And George Springer has entered that little period of time where uh, he's walking and he's hitting for power because he's changed his approach after going through the cheating years. Um, remember, walks are mistakes out of the zone. Homers are mistakes in the zone. So him going from being the type of hitter that he was before to now this extreme uh, of fouling pitches off to get to pitches that are more hittable, he's going to go through a period of time where he's going to walk a lot more. He's going to hit for a lot more uh, ball and play power. Uh, Correa did this and you know, basically everyone else who was part of the cheating scandal went through this. Bregman went through this. Altuve went through this. Um, so They all went through it. Yeah, so Springer do, going through this right now, it's kind of the perfect timing for him to go through about 150 at-bats of this because there's maybe uh, 200 at-bats left in the year. So um, it's perfect for, for a guy like him uh, on a team like that that's really making a playoff push for him to have that kind of success in that period of time, mm-hmm. like right when they need him to. So that's going to work really well for them. They have Bo Bichette, who... As a bat speed guy, he's definitely more of a second half guy. At the, at the beginning of the season for 100 games of the year, he had to really figure out how to adjust against righties. I still don't think he's necessarily made the big adjustment that he needs to make, but he certainly proved that because of his bat speed, he can be competent versus righties, if not slightly above league average versus righties right now. Mm-hmm. But given that now as a bat speed you know, elite guy in, in the very near end of the season, I think that he's been able to hit for a little bit more power because that's how it is in the second half of the season. Guys who are elite bat speed guys and the switch hitters. Uh, and, and, and funny enough, lefties in general, um, because lefties uh, don't typically have as coordinated swings as, as righties, funny enough. Uh, they, don't sw- they don't have O swings. They have B swings typically. Uh, that's also, you know, for another conversation. And V swings you're striking a point rather than a path. And because you're striking a point, if you don't have your swing perfected, you either strike above that point or below that point, infield fly balls, ground balls. Uh, So typically it takes some time in the season for your left-handed swing to come into form. So 
even certain lefties, uh, specifically the more V-swing lefties, uh, are more second-half players. But anyway, I digress. We could get into that type of stuff, talk about that all day. You got Vlad Jr. doing exactly what I thought Vlad Jr. was supposed to do and was going to do this year. Um, Gritchick did what I thought Gritchick was going to do. Nothing particularly impressive. Uh, McGuire did what I thought he was going to do. Nothing particularly impressive. Jansen did what Jansen was, you know, again, like nothing particularly impressive. Um, the one that, that surprises everyone for some reason is Kevin Biggio, like not doing incredible things. It's like he wasn't on that level with everybody else. And the one that surprised me was initially Laredes Guriel looked like one of the worst hitters in the major leagues. Really? As the year has gone on, he's turned himself into exactly who I thought he was. So, you know, I ended up being right about him. I thought I was initially really wrong about him. So um, looking around that roster, I was right about, I believe, all of the guys that I had predicted would be good on that team. But like two guys, maybe three guys ended up exceeding my expectations. Semyon ended up exceeding my expectations. Teoscar Hernandez ended up exceeding my expectations. I, I think that might be it. I think it's just two guys. So I, I guess I was right about the Blue Jays. There you go. Um, in, in general, you know, I mean, you know, being wrong about two guys on the roster, you know, I thought that Hunjin Ru was going to do better than he did. I thought a bunch of their pitchers, uh, Stephen Motz, I thought Motz was going to do better than he did. You know, I think, you know, in a different year without the seam change and the, the, the spider tack stuff coming out the league, uh, maybe Motz does continue how he did at the beginning of the season. But um, you guys hear the ball game. I got on the ball game in the background. Yankees, Red Sox, let's go. Let's, let's go. go. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no. So the Blue Jays, yeah, uh, two guys I ended up being wrong about and they were better than I thought. And, you know, a few pitchers ended up being worse than I thought. So if that balances itself out, then cool, whatever. Um, but the Blue Jays are definitely going to be competing in there. Um, and I honestly, like, that, I don't compare them to the Yankees because I don't think – I think what the Yankees are doing right now, they can just keep doing. Mm -hmm. I think this is what they are for the rest of the season. And I think the Rays are on a higher level than the Yankees. So I think it's really, you know, the Red Sox need to slow this descent – with all these teams in their division gaining in ground and doing so much better, right? And the Red Sox really need to capitalize off of Kyle Schwarber and you know the, the, their whole balance factor that Alex Cora has been bragging about for the last week. He's saying, Yankees are never going to make it past us. They're not balanced. Well, I guess you haven't been watching. We got Rizzo, we got Gallo, we got Odor. Gardner's now hitting because it's late season. Um, and he's a V-swing. He's like your most perfect V-swinger you can mm -hmm. find picture perfect lefty v swing but it's a slap v swing it's not a power v swing um i'll see if i can come up with a lefty power v swing off the top of my head there's certainly a lot of them but some of the better lefty uh, uh swings get closer and closer to being o swings like kyle schwarber gets closer and closer to being an o swing cano is an o swing um but again i i'm not i'm not really big on v swings it's just not my, my type of game. It's, it's certain types of hitters can really pull it off. Um, 
but yeah, Blue Jays are right in there. Blue Jays are going to compete with the Red Sox. And really, the Red Sox got to do what they got to do to hold them off. And I don't think they're going to do it. High and Bloom, their own GM, has basically admitted as such. So, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, it's probably going to be the Blue Jays in third. Probably going to be the Yankees in second. Rays in first. Um, Wishful thinking. I don't think that the, the management of – I don't think the management of the Yankees is going to take them far in the playoffs. I don't think the Blue Jays have quite enough to get it done, although they're definitely close. They can get those finishing pieces this offseason. I think it's really about Rays versus the White Sox. And whoever wins that battle, you know, the clash of the Titans right there, that's who's facing the Dodgers. Unless, you know, somehow the Mets or the Brewers pull off a miracle. And that's the current state of baseball, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to take us into oblivion with how many minutes we got. <laughs> so that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Um, we do got a bit of an announcement, don't we, Chris? We do. We do have a special announcement. Yeah. We, y- you know, we've been live streaming at least like once a week. And uh, we've, I feel, and James feels, we've been doing pretty well. You know, a lot of you are tuning in, a lot of you engaging in the live stream. We want to kind of up our game and up uh, the tools and like really provide things for the community to further interact with other than just typing in to the the text chat and stuff like that on YouTube live. So we kind of want to switch platforms over to Twitch where we'll be able to integrate even more tools, rewards, things like that. So be sure to look up Hot Takes with James MLB podcast on Twitch because that's where we'll be streaming. Yeah, definitely like that content, share that content, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one. We'll see you on the next one.